0: Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, Made for Friendship, by Drew Hunter. Turn your Bibles, please, to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. Let me read uh, one verse to you, and we're going to talk this morning about the joys of friendship. The Bible says, ointment and perfume, I know you're still turning there, but Proverbs 27 and verse 9 says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Uh, So again, such such a great proverb there. Um, You know, uh, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so nice smells uh, kind of thing there. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Meaning this, that friends make life more enjoyable Uh, It makes it uh, joyful. Um, J.C. Ryle said this, Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Isn't that that a good statement? It halves our troubles and doubles our joys. I think we would agree with that. Uh, The Bible's praising friendship here. It makes your life sweeter. Uh, J.C. Ryle is, is praising it in his quote. But I'm asking the question this morning, what makes friendship something that is so praiseworthy? Um, You know, if we're going to discover or recover real friendship in our life, we need to know what makes someone praise it like this. So I'll jump right into the lesson. I want to give you this morning six joys of real friendship. Six joys of real friendship. Number one, just what was said in in that uh, quote there, friendship doubles our joys. Um, Arthur Brooks studied the key contributors to people's happiness in America and other than our own genes and circumstances, he found four uh, characteristics or four factors that correlate most closely with happiness, all right? Uh, so again, uh, you know your genes. You understand what I mean by that? I think some people are born a little bit more optimistic than others. I mean, that's just true, right? I mean, some people are born pessimistic. Some people are born optimistic. Um, there's no doubt about that. And then I think circumstances. But he, 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 he uh, found four factors. All right, so just what, what do you think the four factors were? Could you guess? All right, what, what, one I'll go ahead and throw out there because we're talking about it. Friendship was one of them, all right? So what do you think the other three factors were? Can you repeat the question? Okay, so he found other than your own genes and circumstances, there are four factors that contributed to America's happiness. One was friendship. What do you think the other three were? Family was one. All right, so family we'll throw that in the relationship category. Okay. Faith was definitely one. All right, so we've got three of the four: faith, family, and friendship. The fourth one will be harder. Harder. No. It, this will be a little more difficult to get. He said, "Meaningful work." So if somebody had a job that, like, you know, it's not a job to you. Like, you feel like you're you're contributing. You're doing something. Uh, that, that brought happiness to life. But I want you to notice a couple of things on that list. So faith, family, friends, meaningful work. I want you to notice this. There was nothing on that that's about a six-figure income. That, I think that's interesting. Now, Some of you are like, that would make me happy. <laughs> we, we understand that. But it doesn't say anything about your, your beach home, big vacations. It, it doesn't say anything. About that. But what's interesting is friendship made that list. Now, I want you to think about all the memories that you have in life. All of them. So many of them, in fact, you would say the majority of them include friends. I mean, if you, if you scroll through the photos that are saved on your phone, I'm sure that for the most part, they're, they're images of, of memories and experiences that you enjoyed, and there's people in them. There's people. Friends, family, and again, I think you could kind of lump family and friends together a little bit, you, you know, in some respects. I mean, a lot of my pictures are with my, my kids, with my wife, which again, I hope that you're good friends with your spouse. I hope that you, as your kids especially, get older, you become friends with them. You, you know, I, I just, you know, friendship just makes life better, right? Um, it slides in next to other joys. Um, you know, think about it. Uh, I was in the pastor's home in Idaho, and he's got eight children. Uh, no, it's, it wasn't a Mormon church. It was a, it was a Baptist church, but he's got eight kids. And his youngest, I, I can't remember how old he was. He's, I'm, I'm going to guess he was like five or six years old. And uh, I, was, I was sitting at the table. We were eating, and the meal was kind of over, so the kids were kind of getting up and, and going. And this little guy, he's, I'm guessing five or six, he's, he's literally uh, in the kitchen. And he's, I, he's doing a, a front handstand, but he can't stand up on his hands. And so he's got one foot on the kitchen sink, and his other foot's in the air. And he's doing this, and he's saying, Mom, Mom, look at this. Look at this. Watch this. Now, some of you are laughing because if you've got four-year-olds, I mean, what do they do? Mom, watch this, watch this, watch this. But what's interesting is whether it's Mom or Dad, watch this when they're four, we, we don't change we we don't change the 24 year old version or the 60 year old version it's it's the same thing it just sounds a little different it's this did you watch a game last night did, hey did you did you see when we pulled in did you see the rainbow out there did, hey did, hey watch this check this out check this out do you know what we're doing when we when we do that it's the same thing you were doing when you were a little kid you're trying to share the joys and the interests in life with somebody else we do this because telling a friend is what brings us joy and what increases our joy we we just there's something created in us that just wants to share it with somebody else that's why when we lose a friend maybe even to death when a friend dies the pain cuts very deep it hurts because we lose their presence and it also hurts because we can't share our joys with them. Uh, some of you that are sports fans uh, that, that are older um, will we'll remember uh, the, the Bulls teams of the 90s. Um, and you'll remember how, how much successful they were. But some of you in this room will remember Michael Jordan when he won his championship in 1996 and if you remember that particular one, maybe you wouldn't be able to label the year necessarily, but some of you that are old enough to know, how many of you see the image of Michael Jordan laying on the court prostrate with his, with his uh, face on the ground and he's got the ball and he's holding it and he's just weeping? How many of you remember that, that image? Okay, if you remember the context of what was going on, that was the first um, championship that he won after his dad had died and he was just overcome with emotion because he would have told you that his dad was his best friend. And here he is at this pinnacle of his career, this, this height of his accomplishment, and he doesn't have his dad to share it with. And so it, it, I think it took a big part of the joy of what he had accomplished and what he had achieved, it took a big part of it out of him. Why? Because that's what makes life better. Friendship doubles our joys you you want to share it with somebody i mean what i mean think about it what good would it be to have these kind of experiences in life and not be, i mean i love to golf if if i went out to today and played by myself which i don't mind doing i played by myself yesterday afternoon uh, just to get outside and enjoy things a little bit but what if i had gotten a hole in one and didn't tell and couldn't tell anybody i would just stink I mean, it really would. It would stink. If I got a hole in one yesterday, I promise you I would have let everybody on that golf course know that I had gotten one. And then I would call my son immediately and tell him I now have three and he has none. (laughs) That's what I would do. All right. So so you understand. All right. Number two, friendship halves our sorrows. It halves our sorrows. How does a good friend have our sorrows? Here's a couple of thoughts. One, they give us their presence. You know, when you're going through something difficult, uh, just the presence of somebody who cares is important. Martin Luther said this Solitude produces melancholy. Now, let me stop. There's more to the quote, but let me just stop right there. For those of us that are prone to depression, I want you to understand this, this is just a key response that most people have when they're struggling with depression. They want to isolate themselves, guaranteed, all right? It's, I don't want to see anybody. I'm going to go in this room. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to turn the lights off. I'm going to be by myself. I'm not saying there isn't times where we need to be by ourselves, but I'm telling you, one of the common reactions to a depressed state is to isolate ourselves. And let me tell you something. It only makes things worse. It only makes things worse. So back to his statement and by the way, this is before clinical psychology and all kinds of things. Martin Luther said, solitude produces melancholy. When we are alone, the worst and saddest things come to mind. We in, I love this statement. We interpret everything in the worst light. And we do. I can say that with authority. Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I don't try and hide this. I, I've struggled with some of these issues in my own life at times. And it's very It's very easy to interpret everything in the worst light. And you will do that when you're by yourself. Sometimes in life you need to know that you just, all you need to know is somebody is there. Somebody is there. Sometimes when you're really down, you don't need somebody to really say anything. You just want somebody to be there and know that they care. All right? William Cowper. I don't know if that name stands out uh, to any of you, but he's most famously known uh, for a hymn that he wrote. We sing it here at our church. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I mean, it's a, it's a very poetic song. I like the song a lot. We, we sing it often at uh, Lord's Supper. Well, just a fantastic song, right? Uh, but many don't know that William Cowper suffered from very serious and significant deep depression in his life. And he was even at times committed to what we would call an asylum. You know, that's the, the way they would handle things in, in those days, a little different than maybe we would handle them today. But he really struggled. But what's interesting is William Cowper had a deep, deep friendship with another famous uh, hymn writer in person. That was John Newton. If you're not familiar with John Newton's name, he, of course, is the famous man who was converted. He was a slave trader, converted, and then wrote Amazing Grace. And so John Newton uh, took a particular interest in William Cowper. He saw how he would battle and fall into depression, and he would um, take William Cowper with him on visits. And in those days, they weren't driving around in cars, and so they would go on long walks together. They'd be outside, and he would be with him. A lot of times on these walks, they wouldn't even talk. They would just be walking together, and the presence of one another was there. He even allowed William Cowper to move into his house and live with him for about a year and a half in his own home. And uh, that story uh, shows up if you read their biography or read uh, John Newton's biography in particular, that, that shows up because... It was a significant part of their lives. It sustained and 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 helped William Cowper in a great way. And it's a, it's an illustration that just shows us that friends encourage one another, and they they oftentimes do it just by by having a faithful presence. Just being there. Just being there. All right. Number uh, another sub point here: friendship halves our sorrows, but they give us their presence. But also, I would say this: they give their words. Proverbs 12 and verse 25 says, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. I love the poetic language there. I mean, you ever ever feel that way in life? Just kind of, just shoulders humped up. I mean, you're just stooping, you know? And the idea there, it says, but a good word maketh it glad. You know, a central purpose of friendship is the ministry of encouragement. And our words can change the climate and the condition of somebody's soul. Um, So think about it. There are times in our life where we need an outside word. We need an outside word. Because again, we can can take ourselves to some of the the, the worst of places. And sometimes you need somebody from the outside to say, no, you're not thinking right. Or no, hey, that's not how it is. Or hey, let me just tell you something. I'm behind you. I love you. I'm with you. Uh, You you know, we need that. We need the familiar voice of a friend in our life sometimes. All right, here's the third thought. Friendship gives counsel from the heart. Close friends offer one another unique guidance because it's going to come from a couple places. Look, you can get counsel from other places, but I want you to think about the counsel you get from a friend. It comes, first of all, from personal knowledge. You know, if each person had a couple of true companions, I'm talking about friends who listened well and loved well, then our world would need fewer professional therapists. I'm serious. I'm not against the professional therapist. I'm not against the counselor. I understand sometimes there's a great need for that, but I'm just telling you, if we had friends, I mean, real friends that listened well and loved well, there would be uh, less need of that in our life. So, Because these are people that know us and still like us and love us. Come on, we all know that there have been people that you thought, you know, I want to get to know them, and the more you got to know them, the less you like them. There's been other people that you thought I don't really like that person, but the more you got to know them, the more you said, you know what? I really like them. In fact, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand, but I would imagine some of you are married to that person right now. When you first met them, you didn't like them, but you got to know them more, and now you're married. (laughs) And now you're thinking, yeah, I know, I was. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But but I, I mean, I just love the fact that there are friends that they know you and they know your flaws and they know your faults and they like you anyway. They're able to say this, ah, that's just how they are. Or how about this? Well, you know how they are. Like, and you just love it. Listen, when somebody knows you, and they know your strengths, and they know your weaknesses, I think that they're able in a lot of ways to speak truth to you in a way that other people can't. So they have a personal knowledge. But they also not only have a personal knowledge, they have a proven love. You see, a true friend is personally invested in our decisions because think about this. When, when, when I know somebody and, and my knowledge of them runs deep and, and, and um, I really, really, truly, sincerely and deeply love them, then think about this. What happens to them happens to me. I'm able to feel that. Um, man, and you need somebody like that in your life. Sometimes you need a friend to just help you think a decision through. Have you ever done that? Because I've got people in my life that I do this with. I don't know how you process things. Um, Some people, when they're trying to make a decision, they they don't speak. They just kind of sit there and they think and they're kind of, hmm. I don't operate that way. So if I'm talking to somebody and we're trying to think something through and they're going, hmm, hmm, hmm. Usually I'm like, come on, dude, give me something here, you know but I'm the opposite. I can get in trouble on this. I think out loud by speaking, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I might bounce up a hundred ideas and they're not what I'm going to do, but I'm just talking it through and talking what I think. And that kind of helps me think about it. But do you ever do, you, there's people in my life that I call them and say, Hey, I got this issue and I need to know what to do. And I'll just talk through and they might not even give me advice. I may just go, oh, that makes sense. Oh, yep, I hear what you're saying. And then by the end of the conversation, I'm like, hey, thanks for helping me. I know what I'm going to do. They did nothing but listen. And they let me talk through the issue. I imagine there's some people sitting in this room that are like that. Man, you need somebody that lets us, just, just help us think a decision through. Other times, you know what we need is we need somebody to affirm our decision. You know, hey, no, you did the right thing there. No, no, I, 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 think you, I think you got that one right. And that's, that's a big deal to us uh, a lot of times. I mean, I know in some ways affirmation is one of those words that's kind of been hijacked and kind of right now seems to have a stinky connotation to it when I hear the word affirmation because you don't want to affirm something that's sinful and something that's wrong. But at the same time, we all do need affirmation. I mean, come on, you're raising kids. If you got kids in your home, your kids need to be affirmed. Like, they, they need encouragement. They need to know that you're behind them, that you're on their side, that you're with them. I'm not saying don't ever correct them. I'm not saying that at all. But, I mean, they need to know that you got, you're, you're, you're rooting for them. You know what I mean? How miserable of an existence would be if you felt that your parents weren't cheering for you? I think those of us that are educators, listen, if you, if you got kids in your classroom and you, they know that you're, you're on their side, that you're for them... You're gonna be you're gonna be able to influence them in a way that you wouldn't if they think you're against them. I'm not talking about some kid that's rebellious and just thinks you're against them because you got onto them, but I'm just simply saying we tend to listen to people we like. Anyway, that I, I'm getting a little sidetracked, but I'm just simply saying we need a good friend to affirm us. All right, number four. I got five minutes here and I got three points left. Uh, friendship changes our world. It changes our world. All right. Um. You, you know I like podcasts. I know some of you don't like podcasts, but um, Tim, uh, but I, I, I like podcasts, and I was listening to a really goofy podcast. It was uh, a podcast that Rick Kuntz turned me on to, uh, that the the art of manliness. I, look, some of those are hit and miss, but some of them are really good. Uh, but this one was really geeky, and I, I didn't listen to all of it. But he 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 wrote. He, he was interviewing a guy who wrote a book, and anybody in the, anymore can write a book. I mean, I don't care who you are, you can write a book. Um, but The book was Lessons of Virtue from the Lord of the Rings. (sighs) All right. So, you understand why I only listened to half of it. I was like, "Yeah, this guy's out of here. Uh, But anyway, uh, one big theme in the Lord of the Rings, if you've ever seen that, is uh, friendship. I mean, it really is. And what you, this is interesting to me. That's why I put it in my lesson. Uh, And by the way, I listen to podcasts because it helps me in my conversations and my sermon illustrations. But, uh... Uh, Tolkien you know he would have never finished I I didn't know this until much after I had seen or been familiar with the Lord of the Rings and and when I was a kid in junior high I tried to read The Hobbit I tried to start that several times and I I never made it very far in that one but anyway um, Tolkien would have never finished writing the Lord of the Rings if if it wasn't for CS Lewis they became very very close friends and they, they had like this group that they got together. And two years after C.S. Lewis died, Tolkien reflected, and this is what he wrote, and I want you to hear this. He said, the unplayable debt that I owe him was not influence as it is ordinarily understood. So he's saying like he didn't necessarily influence my writing, my writing style, is that's what a lot of people would think. He said, but sheer encouragement. He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than just a private hobby. But for his interest and unceasing eagerness, for more I should never have brought brought the uh, the Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. Meaning this, he wanted to stop writing, but C. S. Lewis encouraged him to continue to write and finish it. And I think that you see some of this, is what this geeky guy on the podcast was bringing out, you see some of that in the movie. Remember the guy? He's trying to, you know, he, he's got to carry the ring, the main character, and he's he's just uh, it's too burdensome. And then he has the the other guy that I can't I can't remember the character's name in the movie, but I call him Rudy. Rudy. Yeah, Samwise, Rudy. He's like, no, nah, man, you got this, and I'll carry you, and I'll do it for you. Like, and, and basically the idea was I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, you know. And so if you don't even know what I'm talking about, just just understand this friendship. <laughs> changes our world. See, much of what is truly good in the world is the fruit of friendship, all right? Number five, friendship makes us. I like this. Let me give you, if, it just, if you're writing things down, this is a great quote right here. It's a short one. We make friends, and then our friends make us. That's a good statement. We make friends, and then our friends make us. Why? Because friends influence us. Friends shape our character. Understand, they shape us. Think about this. They cultivate the best in us, or they cultivate the worst in us. Either way, what they're doing, what our friendship is doing, is it brings out what is already there. So come on, if you're raising kids, have you ever seen your kids get around somebody else, and you're like, man, whenever they're around that person, that ain't good. All right, and a lot of times what we want to do is we want to blame that friend. Now be careful about that, because what that friend is actually doing They're not necessarily, you know, causing your child to be bad. What they're doing is they're pulling the bad out of your child. And you can get around other people that do the exact opposite. They're good for your kid. And what they're doing is they're pulling the good out of of, of your kid. And so that either way, they're making you. And the same is true in your own life. I want you to think about that. You know, we like that verse, iron sharpeneth iron. We want somebody that's going to bring out the best in us. That's what a real friend should do. But if you look back on your childhood, you look at even in your current life, you may have somebody in your life that, hey, you know, when I get around them, it pulls the negative side out of me. And and, and I think we just need to recognize that. They influence the moral direction of our life. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22, make no friendship with an angry man. and With a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare into thy soul. We know that what friendship does is it makes good men better and it makes bad men worse. And the closer the friend, the stronger the influence. We become like those we spend time with. Uh, I, I remember I remember when I went to college, I went away from home, and uh, I, it was the first time, obviously, being, being away from home on my own. I was living in college, and everybody on my floor seemed to be, in this little dorm suite that I was in, seemed to be from the same uh, section of Pennsylvania, and I, I wasn't in school a month and started talking like I was from Pennsylvania. You you become like who you're around. You just do. You do. All right. Friends make it easier to live a life of love. All right, last thought. And this is a good one too. Friends, friends make us less weird. Now I chose that statement on purpose. Friends make us less weird. Listen, we are all weird in some way, shape, or form. And if you're sitting here going, no, I'm not, that's a problem. See, it's not a problem being weird. It's a problem when you're weird and you don't know it. All right? So friends friends make us a little less weird. Let me give you another statement. This is This is actually, I don't have many of them, but this is an original. Hermits only get weirder. That's a Michael Jones original. Friendship irons out the more obnoxious wrinkles in our personality. When you get around other people, you learn so- social norms. And even if we keep, and this is a good thing, is that when you're around true friends, even if we keep our quirks, we're still loved in spite. But, but again, being around people helps us. All right, that's why God created church, society. It helps us. I'll give you a quote and I'm done. Henry Ward Beecher, Every man should keep a fair-sized cemetery in which to bury the faults of his friends. Such a good quote. I like that.